Welcome to Election Turkey Gobblers, your guide to winning and losing money this holiday season on the election and other related catastrophes. I am Kid Side Dish, the gravy rider, and I am joined by my friend Starly. Hi, Starly. Hi. And also, coming to us straight from Orange County, North Carolina, the Subaru seeker, John Kimball. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, the, the actually the turkey producing capital of the United States, I believe. Not Orange County. But North Carolina? North Carolina, yeah. I knew they were big in Christmas trees, but I didn't know they were also locking down Thanksgiving. That's terrific. Yeah, big in Christmas trees. I think we we, we, we might be number two in Christmas trees now. It's between us and Oregon or, you know. Oregon? Yeah. Oregon. Ugh. All right. There's too much to talk about. We can't talk about how nobody knows how to pronounce Oregon. All right. Before we get started, we have a message for our Patreon supporters. $10 and up Patreon supporters. Listen up. A lot of us have decided not to travel for Thanksgiving this year. We've decided to take the CDC at their word that it's a bad idea. We take safety seriously, but we also like to have fun and eat casseroles. Isn't that right, John and Starley? Yeah. Yeah, as long as it's not turkey in them. So here's what we're doing. On Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, that is to say the day before Thanksgiving, we are hosting an election profit makers virtual potluck dinner via Zoom. If you are a $10 Patreon, you will get the invite to this, <laughs> what is sure to be a chaotic and fun evening of uh, the hottest side dishes, entrees, salads, and wines ever assembled on a Zoom network. We will send out the invitation that day. You must bring a casserole, side dish, or some other um, edible. I, for one, cannot wait. I'm a fiend for potluck dinners. I haven't been to a potluck dinner in like 25 years. I don't know why potlucks went out of style, but boy, oh boy, John, growing up in North Carolina, the potluck meal was a staple of my parents' social life. Mm-hmm. I would love to show up at those choir sherries and and walk into the dining room with my father, my brother, and the three of us would gast our eyes and see like, oh, did Emily DeLuca bring her famous, you know, such and such loaf? Deviled eggs. Oh my God, and the deviled eggs will yeah. be flowing on. You know what? Actually, maybe I'll make deviled eggs for Wednesday's potluck. Yeah, we have no idea how it's going to work, what's going to happen, but we thought this would be a nice way to have a little bit of community before the holiday slash COVID grind really begins. So patreon.com slash election profit makers. Okay, there's a lot to talk about. It's been a wonderful week. For context, you should know we are recording this on Sunday. I'm still in my pajamas because it's it's the holiday season, so why ever change out of your pajamas? Buying a full set of men's pajamas has been a game changer. I used to look forward to going to bed because it was gave me an opportunity to wash and comb my hair and my mustache, and now I have pajamas? Forget about it. Best year ever. My TV <laughs> broke. I can't figure out how to watch Maud anymore. I'm at my wits end. Can't you still watch Netflix? You should watch Queen's Gambit. It's the hot show. (laughs) John Kimball is not enjoying Queen's Gambit. No, I am enjoying it. That's not what you said last night. (laughs) It's it's pretty slow. You're going to get tweets. You're going to get tweets. (laughs) You say pajamas. Pajamas. I'm sort of interested that you say pajamas, but you say MAGA. Pajamas, MAGA. It's not really consistent. It should be pajamas, MAGA. Oh, you're right. Yeah. The English language is always pretty consistent, so I really biffed it there because there's a lot of consistency in the English language. Mm-hmm. John, walk us through what happened this past week and what's, <laughs> and what's happening this coming week and what is to come. Oh. Why will Predict It not resolve this fucking Georgia market? Uh, they're not – yeah, they, they still haven't resolved anything, but that's because there's plenty of – lawsuits that are continuing. You know, one of the predictions I made last week was I really thought there would be capitulation on the Republican side, and I kind of think I was wrong about that. There Uh, has been some— Yes, yes. you were were wrong. But, uh, yeah. All right, look, I said it was a hot take. I don't know if I count, like, the 11th hour, what, Liz Cheney? Yeah, Liz Cheney and and Toomey. That's That's about as capitulating as we got. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna double down and say that it happens this coming week, but we'll see. Why? I want to know the logic. Why though? Why would it happen next week if it hasn't happened yet? Just because it has to happen at some point. Almost like calling the election. Remember, I was like, it's going to happen this day, and then it's going to happen this day. You know, eventually they called it. So uh, that's a different. They have to. That's different. <laughs> that is you not think, the same. You think as, they'll never, ever come out and, and acknowledge that he's president-elect. 
I, I think they had to call the election. I don't think the Republican Party has to. Yeah, I don't think they ever. I think they once Biden comes in, they will they will treat him like he's the president. But before that, I don't see any reason why they have to do anything different than what they're doing right now. And I don't know why next week would be the week as opposed to this week. I think it's possible that because they have to certify, uh, they're going to certify in Pennsylvania and Michigan on Monday, and the recount in Georgia starts tomorrow and even potentially ends tomorrow. It's going to be a really fast recount, which shouldn't change many votes. Uh, Biden is up by 12,700 votes or something. So uh, those three things are really big uh, and will happen this week. So I kind of think the other thing is they lost this big case in Pennsylvania yesterday, the Trump campaign did, and they got just excoriated by the by the judge. And then they came out and said, we're going to file an appeal and take this to, you know, the third uh, circuit and then up to the Supreme Court. And they need to do that before certification happens tomorrow. And they still haven't filed that appeal. So by the time this podcast comes out, I guess we'll know whether they did that or not. They certainly should have done it by now because it's not hard to file an appeal. <laughs> it is if you have black goo coming out of the side of your head. I made a little Giuliani joke. You're acting as though they ever thought Trump had a chance. They weren't not capitulating because they thought Trump maybe won. They're doing this as a strategy. So it's not based on the recounts and the appeals and the certification. This is their game plan. This is the route they have chosen. So why would anything based in reality with real numbers change their um, I, change I, what they're doing? I get what you're saying. No, I get what you're saying. I just think that um, at some point they have to come out and say, it, it's clearly over. We were robbed. Um, Biden is the president. So that's what they'll the, their new position— and when we say they, we're just talking about rank-and-file Republican politicians across the country, representatives and senators. Right. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, all, all our favorite yeah. guys that we love. They will pivot from saying, well, we don't know. There's a lot of weird stuff. We should look into this. Let's count every legal vote. They'll pivot to Biden won, but— We'll never truly know. Right. Right. That's what it'll be. So the, the pivot would be to help him with the transition then? I'm, like I'm kind of with Starley, John. We are in uncharted—we're, again, this is not the first time it's happened in the last four years. We're kind of in uncharted territory. If I'm Ted Cruz, and I'm the world's biggest piece of shit, yeah, and, I'll, and I have no principles, why would I ever acknowledge that Joe Biden is president? What does that get me? How does that help me politically? MAGA Nation, a.k.a. the pajama people, mm -hmm. will never accept Biden as their president. So why would I, sniveling, groveling Ted Cruz— ever acknowledge that Biden is president. That would only hurt me politically. And especially if they're going to say, but he, we were robbed. If they say we were robbed, then that's, they don't get anything from saying he's, it's over. Right. Until it's over. They know it's over. They know it's ending. They know it's not true. They know Trump lost. Yeah, that's the other thing. They Most of them know. I think there are a couple yeah. of crazy QAnon new members of Congress who probably do think they were robbed and something happened. Lindsey Graham knows what the fuck happened in Georgia. He, like, he knows. Ted Cruz knows. Yes. Mitch McConnell knows. Oh, Mitch McConnell knows more. Yeah, Mitch McConnell knows it more than I know it. <laughs> that guy sees reality. You say one thing about Mitch McConnell, he sees reality. Well, one thing we can look at is how the market is approaching this on Predicted. The Republicans may know. It's maddening. It yeah, is the maddening, Republicans John. may know, and they may be pretending. May. But I do not believe that MAGA Nation on Predicted is pretending because they're putting real money down all over the place, hundreds of thousands of dollars on Trump winning Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, the presidency. Georgia. They certified Georgia, and I'm underwater with Trump not winning Georgia. So that means it's working. That's exactly the, that's exactly the point. So it's working for our portfolios. That, that If you are not on Predicted right now, if you would like to get on Predicted, there are still thousands of dollars to make. And you'll be, you know, making about anywhere between 10 and 20%, depending on, on what the market is. And these are in elections that have already been determined. So why won't Predicted close these contracts? Many of the other betting exchanges have closed these. Predicted has not because they could just be making money on fees uh, in these trading. 
Uh, I think they would also say that as long as there are lawsuits pending, they are not going to do it. I kind of think this week you may you may see some closed. Big week, big week ahead of us. This is a big week for John Kimball coming up, guys. And here's here's the thing: like in 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 uh, Pennsylvania, the certification it's based on who wins the popular vote. So if the legislature were to jump in, they're not going to. They can't in Pennsylvania. But just theoretically, if they did and were to award the electors to the person that didn't win the popular vote, according to the rules. The person who won the popular vote when it was certified is the winner of that market. So that's why I think this week you might see some of these state markets. But I'm not making that prediction. I'm just saying that that could happen, but it's possible we maybe wait until December 14th when the electors meet. Either way, it's still a really great return in just a few weeks. Trump is up two cents to 15 cents on Predict It when it comes to who will win the presidential election. Meanwhile, my 200 share investment in Elizabeth Warren is as dead in the water <laughs> as it's ever been. I mean, if we're going to have wacky scenarios, why don't we have some pleasant wacky scenarios? So somebody in the comment section earlier today posted a screenshot of a MAGA person who had posted a screenshot of their own portfolio, and they had $18,000 invested total in a bunch of markets where they had maxed out, double maxed in both positions, all in the yes and all in the no, in Trump winning all of these states and winning the presidency as well. Oh, They've boy. got $18,000 on the line in Trump winning everywhere. And they are going to do amazing if Trump does end up winning all these. They're going to win like it's going to pay out at like $130,000. Of course, what's really going to happen is that their portfolio is going to go from 18000 to zero in the next few weeks. Madness. Did they just put that money in since, like, at post-election? Is this post-election betting? You know what? That's a good question. Um, I think it probably is because when I was looking at it, the payouts are pretty good. So, yeah. Just think of the mental state that you'd have to be in to calmly, after a presidential election has ended, a winner has been called to then proceed to sink $18,000 into a— But no, no, no. If you're reading, if you're reading, you know, OAN and Newsmax and all that, and you're watching Sydney Powell— Shout out to Epoch Times. Shout out to the <laughs> yeah. Epoch Times, number one newsletter. And Sydney Powell, the amazing attorney, UNC grad, I, I hate to say. Um, She's from, and you're she, really? She went to UNC <laughs> Law School, that lady? Yes. Oh. And you're reading, you're reading these people. You have to be just amazed and thinking, "Wow, they must have something." I mean, she says that the Georgia governor is involved. Ryan Kemp is part of the, right part of the cover up. And now you've got a lot of conservatives and MAGA people that are saying, "If the Republicans don't get in line and back Trump, we are going to boycott the special election in Georgia." So they're dealing with that potential now. See, this is all the reason why they're not going to. There's not going to be any capitulation. Right. It's all running. It's running. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I I I see it, Starly. I see it. They're having a great holiday season. Christmas and Thanksgiving was canceled, but they got this instead. <laughs> it's truly a holiday miracle. I love this family-style Thanksgiving squabbling. If we can't be with our families, let's at least argue among one another. So let me throw another log onto this fire. John had a tweet that I felt crossed the line. John, why don't you read your tweet that you thought was so cool, and then we'll squabble about that for a moment. Oh, let's see. Yeah, I tweeted, anyone— I have it right here, at John Kimball. Anyone else find it odd that at predicted— Wait a minute, don't—it was not read in that tone. Okay, read it in the tone in which it was written. Yeah, anyone else find it odd that predicted hasn't tweeted once since the day after election— it's like how the NRA Twitter account goes dark after every mass shooting. So at first, I felt like this was just like John Kimball, classic, classic centrist edgelord, <laughs> trying to stir things up on Twitter. Then I realized that's actually not Long John Silver style. John does not provoke for the sake of being provocative. And I think I texted you and I was like, your tweet doesn't make any sense. The NRA goes dark because it's complicit in the mass shootings. How is predicted complicit in the election? John Kimball, make your case. Thanksgiving dinner. Well, what I was making was just a simple observation, and I get how it was misinterpreted by you and maybe by others. I really wasn't trying to stick it to predict it. I was just saying I found it odd. It was weird. 
to just suddenly disappear after a major event like this. And then I thought, you know, the NRA does that. It's kind of weird. But I was not comparing predicted to the NRA, but I can see how it, it read that way. Wait, 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 wait. It definitely seems like you were trying to stick it to predicted. It doesn't think you're trying to compare them to the NRA as like one for one, but definitely seems like you were doing a knock at predicted. It didn't seem like a neutral observation. Did you agree that I should have been sticking it to predicted? I had no problem with you sticking it to predicted. Because I think you retweeted me. I think I did too. I thought it was saying that the complicity was that they are still making money off of the uncertainty and chaos that is being sown by the Republicans now. They're not closing the markets with what I thought you meant. And I've come around to that analysis, and I agree with that, that in that sense, predicted is complicit because they are they are encouraging by keeping these markets unresolved this fucking destructive fantasy that Donald Trump could still somehow win the election. Mm-hmm. And they probably were not expecting this. I mean, predicted needs a sort of... Um, stable and a kind of officially recognized model as to how to resolve things, just like sports betting does. You're not going to find a bookie who's willing to take a bet on the NBA championship if there's some weird new rule where if if the losing team doesn't like the results, then they can appeal it, you know, for two months or whatever. Like, you need to have end dates. You need to have clear, resolved outcomes. Predict it was not ready for this. And now, ever since the election, if it's true that they still haven't tweeted, is that still true, John, three weeks after the election? Yeah, they still, they still haven't. But they're putting new markets out all the time, so I don't, I don't know why they're not tweeting. Oh, sir, the cynicism of predicted. They are complicit in a way. Because when I go and read the – now, obviously, the predicted comment boards do not reflect – the state of our nation. Are you sure? Which is a damn shame because there's all kinds of wonderful wisdom on the predicted (laughs) comment boards and a lot of good faith arguments and a lot of people who just want the best for our beloved country, the good old United States of America. A lot of truth telling, yes. But when I go on the predicted comment boards, this is what happens. I wake up in the morning. I look at myself in my pajamas and I smile. I make some coffee. I go on predicted. I'm like, why is Georgia? Why am I still underwater in Georgia? Then I read the comment section. Oh, there's a big lawsuit coming. My friend told me that MAGA is just getting started. All you cucks who invested in Biden, I'm about to take all your money. It's like, what is, what reality is this predicted? Close the damn market. And they're making, and they're profiting. They're profiting. They're the original election profit makers. I mean, we have to get. Yeah, that's true. That's true. OG. And what do they care? They're not American. Where's predicted from? New Zealand? They're probably laughing at the destruction. Predicted's going to come through this week. My prediction. All right. John's overall prediction is that this coming week, the week in which you are currently ensconced as you listen to and enjoy this episode, is that stuff starts getting resolved. That some of these markets get resolved. I think predicted's more likely to resolve than the Republicans are. Shall we Shall we take predicted as a leading indicator that when predicted starts shutting down these markets mm-hmm. and MAGA maniacs start losing chunks of $18,000 on their positions that the rest of the world will follow? I mean, the rest of the world has followed. Everyone, my understanding is everyone has called Joe Biden and said, good job, we look forward to working with you. It's just within our own borders that there's a lot of denial. But I don't think, I don't think predicted resolving means that the MAGA people will believe that Joe Biden won the presidency or that the Republicans will act differently. They'll just think the conspiracy expands all the way to predict it. Oh, God, let's come up with a QAnon, a PAnon thing, because New Zealand conquered COVID. They're doing great with COVID, mm-hmm. and they have predicted, and they sent all this stuff over to America, and they're just watching it run wild through our communities, right? Tearing households apart, canceling Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> let's keep the family Thanksgiving squabbling going. Why don't we talk about the fact that Joe Biden is going around on Twitter asking people to donate money to his transition team because the GSA lady, who we've all learned so much about over the last week, is refusing to begin the transition process from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. Fight about it now. <laughs> yeah, this did this didn't play well on Twitter. I saw Biden's tweet and oh uh, uh, yeah, were people very happy with Biden? People on <laughs> immediately went off a uh, yeah. And what's your centrist take on it, John? Ooh, spicy cranberry <laughs> relish. I love it. Aunt Starly doling out that spicy cranberry relish. <laughs> I didn't get it immediately uh, why everyone was so upset. I saw a friend of the show um, tweet, uh, don't do this, don't do this. Um, and then I actually spoke to that um, person who wants to remain 
unnamed, uh, but said that I, I should be free to describe uh, them as a person familiar with John Hodgman's thinking. Okay. That's a pretty good source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maggie Haberman over here, John Kimball. Intimately familiar with John Hodgman's thinking, this source that I spoke with yesterday, basically said that their problem with the tweet from Biden was a matter of optics. Yes. And and not necessarily about the fundraising, that, that he probably should have done this fundraising behind the scenes with some of his bigger people and that he, uh, yeah. that he should have known better to put this out on Twitter where he was uh, going to be attacked. The phrasing of this tweet, <laughs> the just the dropping of this tweet as though it's like a midnight album drop. Like, right. <laughs> just outrageous. <laughs> Here, okay, here's the tweet. This is from Biden's Twitter account. Here's the deal. Because President Trump refuses to concede and is delaying the transition, we have to fund it ourselves and we need your help. If you're able, chip in to help fund the Biden-Harris transition. And everyone was like, yeah, great, sure, we'll help. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Everyone was like, we're all rich as fuck right now and and we have no idea what to do with all this money. They were like, screw you, we've given so much money, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) John hates it. Everybody was like, we love to know that it will never end. That we give you money before you win. We give you money after you win. This is just what life is now. (laughs) For every single matter in your life, you will come to us and ask us. It's like when you send the kids, I don't have kids, but I imagine it's like when you send the kids away and you expect, and they didn't, and they'll forever going to ask you for money for their bedding and all the essentials in their house. It never stops. But why is this Biden's problem? That's my question. Everyone is so mad at Biden, and Biden is the victim here. Biden is the victim being withheld funds and help from the General Services Administration. So I I recognize being annoyed and not wanting to give him money, and you don't have to give money when someone asks. Wait, what? Uh, And I recognize people saying that it looks desperate and that it's unbecoming. I recognize that, but I— I don't recognize people saying he he doesn't need money and he shouldn't be asking for money because he they clearly do need money. One thing that this whole kerfuffle taught me was that the, you do have to raise funds for your transition. I assumed I assumed the government paid for it, but no, this was news to me. I don't know a lot about presidential transitions. I thought they're withholding the funds. I thought the whole thing is that they're withholding the funds for the transition. But there is private there, but transitions are also supplemented by private donations. I didn't realize that. Always? So if the government wasn't withholding the funds, they would still need— I think they would still need money, but they wouldn't come to us with their begging bowl asking for money because big donors are always slipping money into transition teams. Well, that should change. That shouldn't be the case. All that should change. This is a fucked up system. We have to tear it all don't down. Don't you this dare, is ridiculous. Don't, Starly, don't you <laughs> fucking dare say anything bad about this system. This system works— <laughs> This system rules, this system is fair, and this system is fun. And if you ever talk shit about any aspect of the American system ever again, you will not get this gravy boat that I'm holding. Because your mashed potatoes are ungravied right now. Your mashed potatoes are exposed as a motherfucker right now. You need this gravy. Here's what I would say. The thing that's frustrating about it to me, and, and this is just the impossible situation that the Democrats are in, is <laughs> Biden basically has to be like, listen, man, Trump won't do what he's supposed to do, so can you help me? He just sounds like a loser. He just sounds like a loser. And it's the same dynamic across the country, you know? So what do you, what should they do? Heist. He should fucking go get them. I mean, right. he should do a power move. He should just take the money. Yeah. Take over the GSA and take the money. He should say, because Trump is refusing to concede Donate to my transition fund, and if I raise half a million dollars, I'm going to arrest Donald Trump and indict him on the first day of my presidency. Let's go, y'all. I'm fucking over this bullshit. Signed, Joe. That would be good. Yeah, that would bring the nation together. <laughs> and that's, the, that's, that's what people want. I think people want him to say, we're going to sue the GSA, the Republicans, and he would be right, are enabling Trump. This is wrong. I think the danger in doing that is that— it becomes 
a partisan issue. It is a partisan issue, but right now you got the Republicans kind of squabbling with one another. If you got Biden coming out and attacking all these Republicans, then all of a sudden you've got people going, you know what? Screw Biden. You mean you're saying Republicans would put aside their partisan differences and come together against their common enemy, a newly emboldened and antagonistic Joe Biden? Does that sound like something they would do? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's exactly what they would do. So instead, genius Joe Biden is going to act so fucking weak and beta that he divides the Democratic Party. Okay, so that works well. He's not in a good situation. He has no good options. No, but the thing that the thing that worked best for him was that first week after he won, when he did the little press conferences he did, he was like laughing at the Republicans and being like, yeah, this is going to work out really well for them. That was exactly the right tone. He was doing a great job. That's when Starley liked Joe Biden more than she has ever liked him I in her whole life. Him. She yes. was loving Joe Biden that week. Yes. Joe Biden should have secretly solicited transition funds from mega donors and not told us about it, not shared this desperation with us. Or maybe sent it out in an email blast. Something about it coming directly from his Twitter account was unbecoming and and weak. Bad, bad look. Yeah. Okay, so we can agree on that. Can I ask you some listener questions, John? Yes, yes. It's been a long time. Contact at electionprofitmakers.com is the email for sending us questions, you can also write us uh, via patreon.com slash election profit makers. I'm not sure if this question is still relevant, but I'm going to read it because I love living on the edge. It's from a, our listener named Daniel it says, have you guys seen this insane popular vote margin of victory market? I got crushed on election night as all of my wish casting bets on a Democratic steamroll went down in flames. But luckily, one of those bets was on Georgia to have the tightest margin of victory. I bought in at eight cents. I was able to flip that for 80 cents a few days after the election and dump those profits into wave riding the electoral college markets. I doubled my Georgia winnings on the electoral college market and have now bought and sold the three Point zero to 4.5% bracket of the popular vote margin of victory market four times now to double that investment as well. Nothing is actually moving in the vote count, and Biden is holding at a 3.4 percentage lead with 96% of the votes in. I'm not sure why the 4.5 to 6.0% bracket has been leading this market, but that bracket has been consistently fluctuating. Some of the best wave riding opportunities I've ever seen in my short time on Predict It. God damn, what a what a missive from Daniel. John and Starley, I know this is right up your alley because it's all about these margins and brackets and 3.0%. And I kind of just glaze over as I wait for Georgia to resolve. Okay, so he's saying in here, he mentioned that it was a 3.4% lead. It's actually over 3.8% now. It is continuing to go up and there probably are anywhere between one and a half to two and a half million votes still to count, mostly in New York because New York has a terrible election system. It's incredible. It's really weird. (laughs) So that's why that 4.5 to 6.0 bracket is fluctuating back and forth. It's going to get pretty close. I mean, I I think the people that are estimating it, the data folks, and I'm not following this particularly that closely because I'm in both of them. I'm going to win either way. Um, Must be nice. And I I, I have not been wave riding (laughs) in it. So... I think it probably ends up right on the edge, somewhere between 4.3 and 4.5, which would be great for predicted. It would be an exciting market. As long as it's great for predicted. Um, I would, if you were in that market, I would hedge or try to buy as low as possible when it, when it swings down. But I would, I'm not making a call about where it ends up, but I think it probably ends up very close to 4.5. Great answer. We have an email from Henry. How do I determine what is my taxable income from predicted? Should I simply use the difference in what I withdraw from what I deposited? If I leave my earnings in predicted and receive a check for less than or equal to my deposits, do I avoid having any realized gains to report? Or do I have income as soon as I receive a gain on the site? Do my losses offset gains in that scenario? John, we're approaching the end of the fiscal year. People are wondering what to do with the many tens of thousands of dollars they've won on Predict-It thanks to taking the advice of the election profit makers. What is the status of their Predict-It wins as taxable income? Okay, I'm not a tax God prepa- damn it all the hell. CPA. But I will tell you that the, the way Predict-It looks at it is they're required to issue a Form 1099 to any— 
trader who is a resident of the United States who has a net profit of $600. So if you made less than $600 in a calendar year, then you have nothing to worry about. If you made more than $600, for IRS reporting purposes, Predictit will calculate the net profit as essentially this. It's your gross profits minus your losses, minus your trading fees, minus your withdrawal fees. So if you made $1,000 in one particular market and then in another market, you lost $200. You would take that $1,000 minus the 200, that gives you 800. <laughs> then you paid $100. Your angle on Zoom right now is <laughs> insane. Why can we only see 2% of your head in one eye? And, <laughs> oh, because and you because, keep looking at us with this big, shiny okay. eye. <laughs> because I'm looking at my calculator. Oh, you're literally doing calculations oh, right now. This is like Steve Kornacki. You're, you're, you're being our own Steve Kornacki. Oh. Starley now has her own private Steve Kornacki on speed dial. <laughs> okay, so there you go. So you, you made $1,000 and you lost 200 That's $800. Then you're going to uh, subtract the $100 in fees that you paid, the 10%, okay? So that leaves you with 700 Then when you withdraw that 700 they're going to take 5% for the VIG, which is $35, and that leaves you $665. Of taxable income. Of taxable income. Now, I want to I want to amend something you said, John, because I think we could be exposing our listeners to liability, which is that Predictit only sends out a 1099 for amounts greater than or equal to $600. But if you make less than $600, even if they don't send you a 1099, that's still technically taxable income. You just you just won't have a ten you won't have a ten ninety nine for it. Absolutely, yeah. You you are responsible to the IRS for any taxable income, whether you receive a ten ninety nine or not. They just don't. Why don't they send it though? It's not worth it, I think, because there would probably be so much. Wouldn't want predicted to do extra work. Wow, Starley, do you love predicted? It's predicted. <laughs> <laughs> Starley came. Guns blazing for Predicted at this Thanksgiving dinner. It's a good thing we didn't invite Predicted to Thanksgiving dinner because they would be getting none of this delectable <laughs> cranberry. Oh, speaking of cranberry relish, Starley, I wanted to tell you something about my brother. Oh, I mean, your brother. My brother loves making hand-cranked cranberry relish with real cranberries. He has one of those huge metal table-mounted cranberry grinders. And when we meet for Thanksgiving, he will make the most incredible, refreshing cranberry relish from scratch. And I love it. Sounds um, delightful. Did he bring the grinder to Thanksgiving? He does it ahead of time. He Well, I've had thanks When I've celebrated Thanksgiving with them in Chicago, he has a grinder. And I think in North Carolina, my parents have the same kind of grinder. I think he bought his cranberry grinder based off the model that we grew up with because my parents also grind their own cranberry relish. Does the does the relish involve having to do anything other than grind it? You have to add stuff to it. I think they add, I think he adds orange peels and sugar maybe. Does that sound right? It might just be nothing but cranberries. It might, it might truly be nothing but cranberries. I'll ask him. Do you want to know, John? I know you're yeah, such a foodie, for John, that you're probably like, I simply must know your brother's famous hand-ground cranberry recipe. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing Queen Latifah in Last Holiday doing the cooking dis- uh, demonstration that she does at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, right. Now that's your brother. Yeah, that's my brother. Wonderful. I mean, since he's a figment of your imagination, you had to cobble him from wow various references that you've seen in your life. Starly, I'm going to tell you something very interesting, which is that I noticed I got an alert on Patreon when my brother increased his contribution from $5 to $10 a month. And I can only imagine he did that so that he will be able to participate in the Wednesday potluck dinner. Speaking of special guests to the, the potluck, did you invite anyone else? We have a tiny centrist, one of America's greatest playground pundits, has indicated that he would be open to making an appearance. Now, he has a lot of media bookings, obviously, because he called the Biden win before anybody. But we are hoping that he will be able to dial in from the Hudson Valley region of New York State and make an appearance. And we are debating about whether to extend an invitation to certain other legendary characters in the extended election profit makers universe. We will leave it at that and we will look forward to seeing who shows up. Cal Cunningham. <laughs> mm. 
Here's another Cal to talk about. Calvin Coolidge, whose shadow has unexpectedly <laughs> darkened the last few episodes of this podcast. The Calvin Coolidge discourse is not yet over. John Dickerson, yeah, it's time for you to shine, my friend. Turn up the bass and get ready for the latest email from listener Lee Saylor. Lee writes, in the dying days of the band wars, I let forth my band of Sam Rowe. I felt righteous at the time. While I could not ban Calvin Coolidge, I could strike a blow against one who seemed to be carrying his flag. Now the band wars are over and I return to what I once took part and I see not a villain standing in the shadow of Calvin Coolidge, but instead a reflection of myself. With a similar interest in American presidential history, I might have easily found myself in Sam's position. After all, I was the one who introduced the topic of Calvin Coolidge's mechanical bull, not Sam. I can so easily imagine a reverse scenario, issuing ban protection for John Adams on the ground that he owned a dog named Satan, only to be banned by Sam for overlooking the Alien and Sedition Acts, for example. Of course, that was not the path that fate had deigned to give either of us. And now Sam is banned and I am not. Sam carried themselves in the face of my ban with a dignity that I can only hope to muster should I ever find myself banned from listening to a podcast. He concludes, I cannot unban Sam. It's too late for that. But I can ensure that this sorry episode does not go forgotten. Attached is a donation to Ripple Effect, a New Orleans-based nonprofit working to help design school curricula on flooding-related climate change issues. I hope this may be sufficient for a memorial to Sam and the Ban Wars battle of Calvin Coolidge. Farewell. Wow. Sam and Lee, it's like that. Have you ever seen that Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk and some alien or two aliens have to wrestle forever on some planet? There's a famous episode of Star Trek where two men decide to wrestle forever. And that's Lee and Sam and Calvin Coolidge will be the ultimate referee. The Calvin Coolidge discourse has been, we can only say it has been nothing if not abundant on this podcast. That is not the only email we got about Calvin Coolidge this week. <laughs> We are transitioning to a Calvin Coolidge-related podcast. I might send out a tweet trying to raise funds for Calvin Coolidge's transition. Andrea W. says, I've been keenly following the ongoing discourse regarding the legacy of Calvin Coolidge on your podcast. I recently learned from a TikTok video that Calvin Coolidge had a pet raccoon named Rebecca, and I wanted to pass this fact along. Rebecca was originally meant to be Thanksgiving dinner in 1926, how appropriate, but the Coolidges wanted to keep her as a pet. She ended up with an embroidered collar emblazoned with the title White House Raccoon. And according to Wikipedia, quote, enjoyed participating in the annual White House Easter egg hunt. Her favorite foods were shrimp, and I'm not sure how this anecdote should factor into the judgment of Calvin Coolidge's character. However, it is perhaps pertinent that when the Coolidges left the White House, they donated Rebecca to a zoo where she failed to adapt and met her untimely death shortly thereafter. So not only did Calvin Coolidge have a mechanical bull, he was supposed to eat Rebecca the raccoon for Thanksgiving dinner and instead decided to keep her as the White House pet. When they left the White House, they donated Rebecca to a zoo where she no doubt died of her broken heart. The Calvin Coolidge trivia that we have distributed to our listeners, free of charge, mind you, free of charge, Right, because TikTok charges for their trivia. <laughs> has been an unexpected delight to lift all spirits during this tortured holiday season. God damn, I go back. The whiplash I have about what I'm supposed to feel about Calvin Coolidge has exhausted me. Okay, so when you first sent this email to John and I, my first reaction was, how, how dare he give that raccoon to the zoo? But now listening to it again— it's good. It's like donating art to a gallery instead of keeping it in your well, private no, collection. Well, no, it's not art. It's a living, it's her pet. It's a family member. It would be like giving, you know, your brother away. What? Like, they— <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to think on that. Um, but wait, maybe Calvin— you, what, may, Why didn't they release it to the wild? Exactly. So maybe Calvin thought— Excuse me, Starly, President Coolidge. President Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge. So Calvin Coolidge <laughs> thought, I can't release this raccoon to the wild because he's been domesticated. He'll, he won't survive. You can't just release a domesticated animal to the wild. He should have—I thought he should have kept the raccoon. Um, but maybe he didn't have the resources once—I can't believe I'm defending this because I, I don't—I hate zoos. 
But maybe he thought he didn't have the resources to take care of the raccoon after he left the White House. Because at the White House, they probably had so much help and there were so many rooms for the <laughs> raccoon to live in. <laughs> So then they had to do something. So maybe he did think this was the best thing for the raccoon. And because he would, I would, I'm sure he thought he would adapt more to the zoo than the, to being in the wild. That makes right, sense, right? right? Yeah. The distance between a White House and a zoo is smaller than the distance between the White House and just going back out in the woods in Adams Morgan or whatever. Yeah. So I can see an argument to be made that he thought he was doing the best thing. The zoo would take care of the raccoon even more than he could once he was out of the White House. Oh, you've put it so poignantly. Right. I can tell you from personal experience that releasing animals into the wild does not work well. Uh, have you done that? I did it once. What? With what w- animal? With what kind of animal? Uh, Please say shark. Please say shark. <laughs> a mouse. A pet? It was not a pet. It was when I lived in in New York, and I had I had a little mouse that lived in my apartment. Oh my God, I'm about to cry! And I, I know. Very close to guinea pig. Did you name the mouse? No, I did not name the mouse, but I but I tolerated the mouse for many months, and finally one day I thought, you know what, I should I should take the mouse out in. To the wild. The mouse should come clubbing with me and Susan Orlean. <laughs> right, right. This was during those <laughs> those wild days. So I scooped the mouse, I think, may have been kind of blind. It was one blind mouse. Yeah. It's a, it's <laughs> so I scooped the, the mouse up in like a pot. And uh, I walked a couple of blocks to Central Park. What were you doing with a cooking pot? You don't cook. How'd you get a pot? It was my one one pot that had never been used except to transport this mouse. It was your mouse pot. And I, <laughs> so I took him to Central Park. You took him to Central Park? Well, where should I take him? Wait, you took a, well, hold on. Tell me you were walking down the sidewalk with a cooking pot with a lid on it, with a mouse inside it, walking it to Central Park. Aww. I was, and it's New York, so nobody cared. So... I, I walked to Central Park and I walked into, you know, a meadow and I thought this would be a nice place for a, a mouse to live. And I, you know, sort of dumped him out there into the grass and he was just shaking like he was having a seizure or something. And I was, at that point I realized, oh God, I've made a terrible mistake. And I just sort of I covered him up with a bunch of leaves to, like, try to make him warm, and then I left, and I realized that he probably perished, and I'm awful. You're not awful. I'm sorry, and you listeners are now going to write in and tell me how terrible no, I am. No, no, no John, this, this has, not, nothing, this is, this has this. nothing to do with your neoliberal centrist policies. Okay, okay. But none of your instincts were wrong. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing to, to free a mouse. You didn't kill the mouse. like. But here's the thing, Starley. I think that he probably had lived his entire life in in between the walls of various apartments. Mm. He and, was a building mouse. He wasn't a meadow mouse. Yeah, I should have let him out into an alley or something like that. He, he, he was—I don't think he was going to make it. I hope he made it. But I don't know if he would have made it in an alley. I don't know if an alley would have been— There could have been a mean old alley cat who would have eaten him immediately in an alley. He would have survived in my apartment. I know that. I don't think you had to live with a mouse forever, though. I think it's like a prisoner who—when you're in prison, you can't conceive of what it's like outside. It can be overwhelming. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, like, you, like, literally forget what freedom feels like. He—you might have just been observing the initial shock to the system. You don't necessarily know he didn't turn out okay. And even if he didn't, I think him having those moments in the meadow was better than him spending his entire life between walls. Wow, that's heavy. Well, thank you. That that makes me feel better. I don't think—I really don't think you should let this weigh heavy on you anymore. You know I would tell you the truth if I was— if I if I was disapproving of what you had if done. If you thought he was a moral monster. <laughs> yeah, I would not hesitate for a second. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what, we're about to win a Caldecott Award off of this and a Newbery Award. If there are any <laughs> literary agents who listen to our podcast who would be able to represent uh, a three-author team as we write an international best-selling children's book about a bachelor domain trader living in Manhattan in the pre-9-11 glory days of the dot-com bubble who befriends a mouse that lives in the walls with him and then takes his one cooking pot because he doesn't know how to cook and puts the mouse in it and walks across mm-hmm. town to release the mouse into a meadow in Central Park only to see the mouse shiver in fear. So then he puts leaves on the mouse to try to comfort it. And then he walks home alone with an empty cooking pot. <laughs> 
I mean, Pixar, are you kidding me right now? I mean, the tears would be flow. The tears would be flowing, <laughs> flowing tears. Let's get it going. Literary agents, contact at electionprofitmakers.com. We can write this book. We can win these Caldecott Awards. We can win these Newberry <laughs> Awards. Oh, my God. Here's someone who does think John is a moral monster. This is our last bit of listener feedback for the week. John Kimball, as some of you will remember last week, discussed the process of curing ballots in North Carolina and that his undertaking was sponsored by the Democratic Party. And if a voter identified as Republican, they didn't go out of their way to try to make sure their ballot was cured. Someone wrote us on Twitter and said, John Kimball, as I learned about you working on curing ballots, I was slowly falling in love with your selflessness to save democracy. But it all came to a screeching halt when you told Starley Kind that you would walk away if they had voted Republican. John, prove to us you are not a moral monster. I, I would just say that I, I was working as a volunteer on behalf of the North Carolina Democratic Party, and my charge was to help the Democrats by curing ballots of Democrats. And to cure ballots of Republicans would have been the exact opposite of that. And it wasn't like... It's, it's not the same as registering voters and then something I've done before is volunteer to register voters. And, and sometimes you register Republicans, but I would not throw away a, a Republican registration ballot or anything. Right. So I, 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 I'm not a monster. I mean, I don't know. I thought, I thought it seemed fair. Yeah, let the Republicans go out and cure ballots. They can cure their own ballots. Just by me being there— they would know that their ballot needed to be cured at that point. Like, oh, this is something I can look into. Yeah, but I, I can't, I just, there's only so much time in the day. I can't come back and say, well, yeah, I cured a couple of ballots. They were <laughs> they were Republicans, so we're actually down further now. Cal Cunningham has tripped even further backwards on his own dick. Starley still did. I didn't like how on Twitter there were some people who responded to that tweet who then said they couldn't believe that I felt the way I felt. Someone tweeted, like, you got to play it to win it or something like that. It's interesting because this this entire election, I mean, going back to the Russian stuff from four plus years ago, there's always in American politics been the sense, maybe it's been a collective lie or delusion, that some some elements of our political system are beyond partisanship. Some things transcend whatever political advantage one party is seeking at any given moment, like the right to vote, blah, blah, blah. Now, we all know that's complete poppycock and that's all fraught and the right to vote has always been inherently political. And now we see presidential transitions. Oh, those can be politicized and sabotaged? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Counting ballots, undermining voters' faith in democracy. I mean, the headlines that I get in these fucking Trump emails from the Trump campaign are incredible. They paint a portrait of a fundamentally evil democratic system, you know, expose the lies. Uh, I will never, I concede nothing, all caps. It's, it's, it's nuts. And so maybe that's the spirit that is kind of informing, or the moment, I should say, or the vibe that is informing people's response to John's ballot curing thing. Either this should not be partisan, you should cure all ballots. And then other people being like, no, fuck it, the stakes are too high. Let the Republicans cure their own ballots. I'm not doing them any favors. Well, I get that. It was more saying that I wasn't in it to win it, and I am. I see, right. I can still feel, I can still feel like I want all the votes counted and be in it to win it. It's making me the weak one that I'm like, why, John doesn't have to be the monster, I don't have to be the weak one. They're not mutually exclusive. You're saying, we can do both. Oh, nothing beats a good Thanksgiving dinner political conversation. <laughs> Is there anything else? No. We didn't even talk about Don Jr. having COVID. Oh, by the way, everybody, Don Jr., the president's son, is self-quarantining <laughs> in his I'm, what I'm sure is a rustic cabin because he caught COVID, as did Georgia Senate incumbent Republican Kelly Loeffler. Wait a minute. she When did she get it? She got it yesterday, man. Keep up, dude. Do you even read Twitter? No. She has COVID, bro. He's a classic tweeter who just writes his tweets and then doesn't read anyone else's. Wow. No, no. Wow. But on the weekends, it's all about Queen's Gambit. Oh, right, because now he has the Queen's Gambit taken away from the tweets Gambit. Yeah, she has COVID. Uh, did you, do you know about Giuliani and what <laughs> happened with the stuff coming out of his 
potty? Yeah, I watched that. That was amazing. And he, he blew his nose and looked at the booger and then wiped <laughs> it all over his forehead. I mean, Giuliani is on some next level stuff right now. We have to say, when it comes to erotic <laughs> erotic avatars, Giuliani is creating new categories of, of kink. I mean, this, that man will not miss an opportunity to draw a drenched handkerchief across some surface of his body before applying it to another surface of his or his neighbor's <laughs> body. And I admire the... And that guy is the president's lawyer. God is good, ladies and gentlemen. We have so much to be thankful for. 2020, top 10 year probably in American history. This Thanksgiving is so blessed. We're going to put a, cl- a clock on the amount of time everyone's given to say what they're thankful for, for this year. <laughs> what are you thankful for this year? Uh, gee, you got six hours, Mom? Uh, well, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I can't believe John saved a little mouse with his cooking pot. This might be our best episode ever. What time of year was it? Just tell us one more little, little specific detail. What time of year was it? It, it was winter. Oh. It was winter time. Yeah. So you trudged through the snow oh. to Central Park? No, no, there was no snow. You know, the whole time I lived in New York, I, I don't think it snowed but once. I was there for four years. But it was it was it was cold. It was winter time. It was a not a smart move. So you were like bundled up, though. You had your scarf and your hat and your mittens. He will in our children's book, our children's book called "He Never Had a Name." Yeah, I should have bundled him up. Oh. <laughs> well, in a children's book, the mouse will be wearing little mittens and a little hat and a little scarf. Oh, I'd like that. Well, we'll t- we'll talk about that. We might have creative differences on what the mouse is wearing. I, I, I see this book. I'm telling you, I see this book and I'm going to manifest this book by hook or by crook. I will manifest this little mouse book. I'm going to start writing it now. Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. Send your election prediction questions to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And yes, it is true. The election is over, but unresolved. And so predict it, as John mentioned, is still a great place to earn money. Go to www.predictit.org slash promo slash EPM20 to receive up to $20 in matching funds. Reminder to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, if you're a new listener, to subscribe to this podcast. Check our Patreon for information about our virtual potluck dinner. Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. I'm actually looking forward to it. Let's have a little bit of fun. This holiday season. David doesn't look forward to much. So when he says he's actually looking forward to something. I don't look forward to much. But when I'm looking forward to this Wednesday night dinner and I'm scrambling to figure out how to upgrade our Zoom account so that we can host more than 100 people, you know it's going to be lit. It's going to be awesome. John's going to be doing it on his phone. John's doing the entire thing on his phone, flying blind. We wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. If we don't see you on Wednesday night's potluck dinner, we'll look forward to talking to you very soon. Please, for the love of God and all that is holy. Stay safe this Thanksgiving. Wear a mask. I'm uh, Kid Midas, the original gravy, the captain of this particular gravy boat. And I've been joined by my friend Starly. Goodbye, Starly. Bye. And John. Goodbye, John. Bye. <laughs>